Hi there. Welcome to On the Flip Side, a podcast for anyone who wants to live their best sales life. We're going to be talking to buyers, sales managers, SDRs and AEs about things like what does it take to be a great sales manager or how can you go home happy month after month. So let's dive right in. Hey everyone. Today we have Calvin with us and you know Calvin and I met each other virtually of course in today's world on a great community that we are both part of called the Rev Genius community. Calvin of course is quite well known, quite active on different sales communities. He's also been the LinkedIn top 100 sales star. I don't know how Calvin manages to find time to do all of these things. I'm really excited to have him on the show. Calvin, uh, can you tell us uh, the audience a little bit about what your journey in sales has been so far? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have an interesting journey that I actually I think a lot of people have an interesting start into sales and I fell into sales just like most people, uh but I fell into it a little bit earlier. I got exposed to it in undergrad in college. I was a psych major and wasn't really sure what the future was going to be. For me after graduation in my senior year of school, I took this intro to sales class and really got interested in the opportunity to not just be a used car salesman. <laughs> I think a lot of people still have that connotation with sales, but there's an awesome opportunity to make the money that a lot of people associate with sales, but also have the opportunity to really be a consultative seller and that you're really here to bring value and whether that be, you know, hopefully you buying my product, but it's actually about helping that prospect or future customer find the best tool for them whatever it may be and, you know, sometimes that may be actually sending them towards a competitor because you're not going to be the you know the best fit for them. And mm-hmm. so for me like getting exposed to that I just got excited about that opportunity because I loved helping people. So that took off my career into sales. I got uh started and started a sales fraternity on campus as well as like you mentioned got involved with Rev Genius and helping out leading the mentorship program in Rev Genius, you know, got started into software SaaS early stage companies and that was really exciting to me as well, the opportunity to come in at an earlier company and really have an impact instead of feeling like at a larger company that you're more so just a number. I think there's a lot to learn from some of the larger companies especially uh very structured training and there's a lot that can come out of it, but I also kind of thrive in a little bit of chaos and love the opportunity to dip my hand into multiple different things. Nice. And so what was the first thing that you started selling uh, when you were on campus? Yeah, so I actually again too is weird not necessarily going into it after graduation i had this internship for my advanced selling class that was part of our grade as well and we were selling advertisements to our local student run newspaper and there i was able to crush quota for this semester we had i think it was like 2 months to go out and sell and i hit like 300% of the goal that we had to hit and nobody else even hit the goal. <laughs> so there I was kind of like, oh, okay, there's like a huge opportunity to really do well in this and also 
I was exposed to the rejection part and learned that some of sales is always going to be about just getting in front of the most amount of people as possible. Because if you don't have those conversations, you're always going to get rejected. <laughs> so that was, I think, something that some of my other people in that class struggled with because, you know, you're going to get tons of no's and you just have to go find that next person until you start getting yeses. And that was really what I did. And then I was actually able to find a like larger opportunity where I sold the person multiple advertisements. So that was pretty cool too, too. Um, my teacher was like, uh, I guess you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that within the rules? Nice. And, you know, as, as you kind of went through that, right, like, you know, it's a great point. Often people take those no's personally. Sometimes people take those no's as maybe even things that begin to make them question their uh, confidence in, you know, in whatever product that they are selling, right? And sometimes they take it as a reflection of their skills. But clearly, you kind of just breeze through all of that, right? And when you came out of that experience, were you very certain that, you know, sales is what uh, it is going to be for you, you know, after college? I really thought so, but wasn't 100% certain. I don't think anybody really can, you know, as a young recent graduate. I think that the endless opportunities is also detrimental too, because everybody's like, oh, I can go so many different ways. But yeah, I got, I was pretty excited about the opportunity to, you know, you have a lot of CEOs like, like yourself, you know, you have a lot of people that have been exposed to sales and that's how they got started. And mm -hmm. you get to see a, tons of different things within a sales role. So you know, being exposed, I never thought I would learn about legal stuff. <laughs> and now, you know, as a sales rep, you're like, oh, okay, like what's a DPA, you know, and learning about all these different security things as well that I never thought would have to know. But you have to know copywriting to be able to write good emails. You know, you're yeah. exposed to the product side where I don't know anything about coding and, you know, getting exposed to, okay, how do you build a better product? Mm -hmm. What is important? R learning competitive differentiation. You can take that into anything. And then obviously, too, when you start to think about the science behind selling, it is really science driven there's psychology behind it and saying the right things you know hence the progression for the conversational intelligence space like wingman you know there's a huge impact when you say the right things and drive the conversation in the right way and how that can you can really learn that and i don't think it's necessarily something that everybody's born with that some people say oh you're a born seller i think that it's something that you can learn anybody can learn it's just about putting in the time to grow mm -hmm. into that role and you know, everybody's going to have their own style too, where somebody might be very blunt and then somebody right. else is going to be a lot more conversational and relationship driven. Just like some people can go into the transactional sale and thrive where you mm. can win today and you can lose today, but then the next day it's a completely clean slate versus other people, they're all about that long enterprise, huge deals. And for me, I think I have kind of seen, I like the in-between where I can have the mix and definitely love the relationship part of selling and helping people out. But I 
don't know that I can deal with also. Oh, hey, you have 10 deals for the entire year and like one of them messes up and then you're <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. And, you know, just to give everyone context, right? Like the way I kind of think about these conversations is I consider myself a new sales manager and of course wearing the CEO hat and a person who's not super uh, duper familiar with sales, you know, at least in terms of years of experience, right? I want to use this conversation to just understand a different perspective, right? Like, so if I'm looking at myself as a sales manager and looking at you as a sales rep, who's also, you know, worn a few different hats, I just want to kind of be able to understand how do you think of and approach things as a sales rep, you know, what are the things that, you know, annoy you, what are the things that, you know, energize you and stuff. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of switch tracks a little bit to that. And, you know, the first thing that you said, which was really interesting to me was you said you came up with a, you know, some sort of a community or fraternity when you were in college for sales, all right? And that's super interesting to me because a lot of times sales is seen as, uh, you know, almost as a competitive sport. And so, you know, it's considered as each man to himself or herself. And so how did you decide to, you know, uh, take the community angle? And of course, you've continued to take that community angle. And how has that played out for you? So something, you know, in college, the starting of the organization, I think there's around 70 chapters now. And so for one of the things for me, I wanted to leave that legacy and start something for other people in the future after I had learned the exciting opportunity that can come from sales. And so that's what drove me trying to start the organization. And this was in my last semester at school. And for me, I didn't see tons of benefit I was just actually focused on, hey, can we get this started for the people behind me? And actually that was the purpose for me was starting that community so other people can learn about the awesome opportunity that could be in sales. And then that kind of continued as going into my first role, I was selling an e-learning tool at a really early stage company. There's about 30, 30 people overall. And again, you know, very small sales team and early stage. And a lot of it was just learning on my own. So that was cool. But also I realized, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there where, oh, if it's not being given to me from my manager, I don't know what to do. But there's so many resources out there that you can learn from. And that's kind of why I think these communities have popped up more recently even. But for myself, that's where I even created the intro to sales stock I have on my LinkedIn, as well as the intro to interviewing guide. But, you know, both of those came from my failures, as well as my successes, just being able to learn from other people and learning that there was a huge opportunity on LinkedIn with a lot of sales leaders posting and then learning from that. And then, okay, now what books can I read? What podcasts can I read? And not just leaving it on a manager, I think is really important for the rep to take ownership of your professional development on your own. There's so many free tools out there that you can utilize. So many, you know, you can't find somebody's email. There's a billion tools you can go find. You know, there's free quick things that you can try to get somebody's phone number if the current tool you're using doesn't have that. And 
that I think is really important is to always try and go find another way, but then also being able to come in with a manager to a manager and say, okay, well, here's my specific question. And this is what I'm looking to learn from that instead of just, I, I, I don't know how to do sales, <laughs> you know? And, and the reverse, I think, for the management side is tough that you have people like you're saying too, is, you know, you have people that if they were a rep, they were a top performer. Now they moved into management and this is their first time moving into management or, you know, somehow they just got into management anyway. But it's so easy to fall into ve being very numbers driven because, that's like right in front of you. So anybody can look right. at that, but it's also about, okay, what are the things happening behind the scenes? You know, what are those, again, anybody can just look at replies, but replies don't matter. It's actually about the sentiment. Just like anybody can have tons of meetings, but meetings don't matter unless you're actually doing an analysis on the pipeline that's generating. Cause I could have 30, 40 meetings with companies mm -hmm. that are gonna be generating $5,000 or you know that are never turning into demos or never getting to the proposal stage. Mm -hmm. So being able to do that analysis on quality versus just quantity is I think is really important to think about. So a couple of very interesting things you mentioned. One is, you know, you kind of took ownership of your own learning and development, right? And you said that that can in some sense be delinked from who your manager is. So one question on that, did you have a role model there? Did you have a mentor? You know, how, how did you kind of figure that out for yourself? Because I think a lot of new sales reps come into the system expecting, you know, the managers to kind of provide that handholding. And, you know, sometimes as a manager, people struggle to say, you know, what should my role be? Should it be to provide mentorship or, you know, should I actually encourage these people to look for mentorship and role models outside? And should my job more be to figure out a scalable uh, process and metrics that I can track and help give clarity to people on where they stand in terms of performance? I think it's a little bit of both. So one of the things that we actually talk about a lot internally at Concert is it's not just about your current numbers. I think it's very easy to get caught up in your current month, but what you're doing in your current month actually a lot of times is irrelevant to that current month. <laughs> you know, you're most, it's, you know, it depends on how transactional and how quick your sales cycle is that, you know, that's obviously matters. But I would say for most of the time, you're talking about deal cycles that are 30 days plus for a lot of people. Right. So what's happening in this month actually affects next month or the month after that. So this is, I think, really important specifically for SDRs too, when they're transitioning into AE roles, you get caught up thinking, oh, it's just about, uh, you know, I'm on track. I already hit my number, but okay, what about next month? Because you might have a lag from you know, per se, say like, okay, if I put somebody in an email sequence and I actually need two weeks until I'm probably going to get a yes or a no, or they're just not going to, you know, progress. They're not going to ever mm -hmm. reply to me. So knowing that is okay. What you're doing now affects next month and the month after that. And I know I got caught up in this as a rep is really just, okay, I'm on track for this month or I'm already above. And then you can kind of take your foot off the gas which can become an issue. So I think as a manager is always being able to look at that 
to the future, okay, well, how are you building this future pipeline, which then holds them accountable to continuously hitting their number? Or if they're falling short right now, okay, well, understanding we're not necessarily, you know, putting you on a, a pip for this month doesn't necessarily do anything. It's about identifying that early and giving them the opportunity where, okay, I really don't, I'm not trying to let go of this person right now, but we're going to put them on a pip earlier so that they know this could be coming. And then it's, okay, we're figuring out and not just looking at the numbers, but okay, who is being the most successful rep? As a rep, who can I go speak to? And then a manager even knowing, okay, these are the top reps. I'm going to go, you know, have them speak and have the rep go follow them. You know, for myself, I never, I truly didn't have a mentor, which is something mm -hmm. I would encourage everybody else to do, which is actually why I got highly involved in Rev Genius. you know, being one of the, the founding members and seeing that opportunity that for myself, how I have more mentors now that I'm working with, but didn't have that earlier so Absolutely. understanding go ahead yeah Sorry, go ahead. no i was just going to say that that is so impactful is being able to learn from somebody else who has done it successfully and you know going out there and whether that be the the other things i've mentioned but also specifically internally within your company you know there's there's Obviously, like, you know, I've used Wingman and I think it's a great tool, but there's free versions that, you know, if your company's not paying for something, you can go use like a, a Fireflies or just ask, can we just start recording Zoom calls with the Zoom, you know, and that being really important to just own that. Right. No, that's, that's a great point that you need to, you know, like a lot of that adds up to saying that you kind of take ownership of your success, whether that is in terms of finding the right tools to prospect or finding a, a mentor or, a, you know, some sort of an inspiring figure or the right type of knowledge that you need to succeed, right? Now, in, in terms of just the mentorship piece of it, right, like, do you have, you know, either based on the work that you've done with different communities or as your own uh, role models, do you see a good template for what might work? Like if I have new sales reps coming into my team and I think that mentorship is great for them, what are the few things that I should think about in maybe creating a mentorship program for them? And should I even be creating the mentorship program or should I leave it up to them to create it? So I always think it's better to have some type of structure and then it can always be, it's all about the flexibility, I think as well, is really important, is how can you pivot from that okay, here's some, uh, here's a structure, here's a starting point. Now we're going to leave it up a, a little up to chance and kind of growing from there. So, okay, well, we're going to have a monthly meeting and, you know, that just be, okay, we're going to start off with that. And then we might progress and go, maybe it's actually quarterly makes more sense, or maybe it's a semi-weekly because there's more important things that I want to learn about. So being able to have just some standard starting point and then being able to pivot, whether that be meeting more or less often and having key things as, again, I don't think it's all on the manager, but I think some some is, okay, well, here's a cold calling template. Here's understanding your ICP. And then, but from there, 
it's all about the rep to be able to learn. You know, I really think it always is going to be on the rep and okay, who is selling into so something I hadn't done in my previous roles, which I did in this role, which was awesome is speaking to people who are selling into similar roles is like a very mm-hmm. interesting aspect that I never thought to do really early on. And then this role I have, and it's definitely a great learning experience. So whatever industry you're selling, like persona you're selling to, so sales ops mm-hmm. and finance for me is going to speak to other people in that role, you know, mm-hmm. and, and who people who one are in that role. So the people who are going to be future buyers, but then also people who are selling into that similar industry. And that's where a manager can just encourage that. That's not on a manager to do, but they can make that suggestion. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things are, again, management can do coaching, but a lot of it is, okay, well, we can look at this call recording. What could we have done better instead of you know, I'm just going to look at things on my own is like, let's go through through things together. Let's talk about all these deals within your pipeline and finding the trends that are, you know, being more successful instead of, oh, okay, you're on track to hit your number, which is kind of what I've seen. And I've heard from other people that a lot of times it becomes, okay, I'm going to manage the reps that are falling short. But I think Mm -hmm. it's also, as a manager, really important to focus on those reps who are doing really well and how can you keep pushing them in their career. So it's important to know, like, what's the driving factor for them? You know, is it, do they want to make a lot of money? Do they want to move into management? Do they want to start their own company down the road? Whatever that driving factor is for them internally and understanding, okay, how can we get them to that point? And you know, understanding too that some people might be more of a continuous B player. Like you need B players on every, you know, you can't have everybody that always wants to get promoted in the next step. You know, companies need those Bs, they need those A's as well and figuring out where people fit and how you can help them to be what they want to be. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Not everybody wants the same career path. And sometimes, you know, as managers, people are colored by their own aspirations to say, you know, that's probably what everybody else wants. But an interesting thing that you brought up, you know, just before the show when we were chatting was, you know, working with a sales manager who's also possibly wearing the hat of a CEO, uh, right? How is that different from working with, you know, a regular sales manager who's not also, you know, like the final call of disputes or authority. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's, it's very weird in the, okay, exposure to all the different parts of the company that he has. And then also being a founder too, you know, he has that understanding and experience of, okay, why I started the company, what's important, but then also not getting too caught up in, okay, well, here's what's important for the company versus here's what's impacting like sales overall. And Mm -hmm. really thinking the, I think sales is more of a short-term impact for short-term progress for the long-term impact versus I think as a just, you know, higher up leader, you're thinking about the future, like a CEO, you're thinking about the future progress of the company overall and how that's going to impact it, which is definitely a little bit different. And so what, like, if you were to kind of give advice to someone who's wearing the two hats of a founder, CEO, plus managing the sales team, what would your advice be? Clearly, 
the challenge there seems to be that they're bringing a lot more context that might, in some sense, be clouding their immediate uh, decision, or they might take a longer-term view uh, to things which maybe need a shorter-term handling. What what are kind of you know maybe a couple of things of advice that you would want to give to someone like me? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it is, in, overall, I think just one of the most important things in management that sometimes can just be missed is just communication. Really trying to be as open with the person as possible. And that's where it starts with understanding, okay, well, here's the goals of the company. Here's the goals for you individually that you want to achieve. How do we help you to get there? And and that's where, okay, well, this decision is really impactful for you short term and might not impact the company as much long term, but this could help you make a lot more money or move more towards the next position. And then also being able to have that conversation where, hey, you know, this is why we're taking this route, which does have a bigger impact on the company. And I understand it might not be the most beneficial thing for you right now in the short term. Mm -hmm. Got it. But isn't it also in some sense the responsibility, and especially if you hold the position of being in some sense the CEO plus the sales manager, uh, isn't it your responsibility to make sure that, you know, that alignment isn't too far off, right, between the company goals and the individual goals? Whether that is, suppose tomorrow I say that, listen, we are going to sell to a different segment and because we are making that switch, some of the pipeline that you have is, you know, going to go out of the window, right? So is it my responsibility to ease that transition or do you think that's considered part of the job for you as a salesperson to have taken the risk in working with maybe earlier stage startup to say, yeah, things are going to change, which means that your commission checks might be very variable. So I think it's a quality point. I think it's a little bit of both and the difference between a super long-term impact versus what I was, when I was mentioning that, I was thinking more the monthly or quarterly impact versus six months to a year that mm -hmm. a sales rep might not necessarily be thinking that far out. That's the, I think that, yes, if you're talking two years, like very long-term, that's not necessarily on alignment with what the rep really is thinking mm -hmm. about. But yeah, it is really important to, I think, think about that monthly to quarterly, and that should really kind of be in alignment. And okay, well, this is how this is really going to impact you and help you do better in that short-term future. Got it. Mm, yeah. Nah, that, that makes and, sense. And I was just going to mention too, in, in terms of the, the commission aspect, like one of the things we recommend kind of regardless of company size is to reevaluate compensation every six months, you know, because there could be things that overall the company is, you know, especially you have something like COVID that has a huge impact on the business. So revisiting comp and figuring out how can we have reps be hitting higher on quota. And also, you know, we like to say, again, it's about commissioning smarter. That's like the impact we're really focused on. And, you know, helping companies bring quota to a more attainable level that then has a psychological impact on reps. So, if, you know, the pretty standard out there is you have like 50, 60% of teams hitting quota and that's, you know, that's crazy. And if you have that 50% of the team is hitting it and 50% is not, if you're a rep, you're like, okay, you're either going to fall in that group or you're not. But say you have then 80% of your team hitting quota. If you're not in that 80%, something's wrong with you. 
most likely. Like something's wrong with your process. Okay. It could be territory even too, but it's okay. Let's work through that now. That's when it becomes like really important. And that's where one of the things that we say and talk about is really it's about having more reps hit that. So then you even have that social comparison theory that I always want to be in that in-group of the 80% or more that are hitting quota. And then it's actually about driving that revenue too, you know, and, and figuring out where you should be setting those tiers to help somebody push themselves to that next level. It's not about setting super low quotas. You know, we don't want that. <laughs> you know, we want still to drive the business, but it's about driving attainable and, you know, their psychology behind actually goal setting. And when you feel like a goal is pretty attainable, that mm -hmm. is really impactful for you in anything you're doing rather than setting the stretch goal doesn't exist. It actually is very like detrimental if it's too far of a stretch, but if it's something that is a little bit out of reach, that's where you're in the peak performance and you get into like that flow state because you're pushing yourself and challenging yourself, which we just as humans, you know, we, we love, we want to grow and it doesn't matter what progress is important, no matter what type of progress it is. And it's all subjective to each individual, but it's about growing towards that. And that's why we say tiers is important too, because you want to reach that next tier. It's instead of this super high quota, you want to have tiers to let me reach that next tier. And I'm okay. Now I've reached tier two. Okay. Now the next tier is actually hitting quota instead, you know, instead of, okay, I'm down here and I'm just never going to reach that, you know, unattainable goal. You got to have something and see that progress and okay, now I've got an accelerator. I got a little bit more per deal. And that's, I think, pretty evident. You can see just on the goal setting side for SDRs is I think for management, helping SDR see that career path, I think is really important and helping them move towards that role because a lot of people don't want to be stuck in that. SDR role, which is kind of like looked down upon in a lot of companies and uh, in a lot of reps' minds. But I think that really also just comes down to, to the pay aspect. I think if you were paying an SDR the same amount as an AE, a lot of reps wouldn't necessarily care as much about moving towards that next role. Because I think opening mm -hmm. conversations is just as important as closing them, if not even more right now on the outbound side, because it's so hard to break in that door. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are coming inbound and if I already know you have the best product in the market, cool, I'm gonna go, <laughs> you work for Salesforce, guess who's the number one CRM that most people are working with? If you're coming inbound to Salesforce, you're probably buying and it doesn't really matter who the, who the rep is. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna buy, you know? And that aspect I think is just really missed is like really understanding the value to the SDR specifically on the outbound. And then if you're in that role, understanding the value that you can learn in that. And you have companies that still have the full sales cycle rep and a lot of the higher quality meetings that are being driven are coming from outbound even too. It's not being sourced by inbound because if you're a top rep, you should really understand your ICP better than everybody else. And you can't control who comes inbound, even if there are 
more ready to buy right now, but I can control who I'm focusing on the outbound and it may take longer to close them, but I could start a conversation now that could lead to something in six months and it could be a larger deal, which has a more massive impact on my quota. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. And of course, Calvin, you work uh, with Concert and that is a tool that helps with compensation, tracking and you know payouts. All right, for sales teams. I think it's interesting that you spoke about quotas and how as a salesperson you view them, having something which is a stretch goal can actually be demotivating. There has recently been a little bit of a conversation around the fact that are quotas even the right way uh, to incentivize salespeople, uh, right? Like should in some sense uh, they be done away with because there are so many factors that they don't control, right? Like you do need some sort of a variable pay, right? But does it does it have to be so directly related to uh, that final outcome? Because like you said, if I'm working for Salesforce, maybe I am going to many ways be able to sell X uh, amount of licenses. Uh, whereas if I'm working for a much smaller CRM, maybe getting to a much smaller number is going to require even more work and effort, right? And so much of that could be out of my control. It could be the market situation, a pandemic has hit, you know, maybe product didn't deliver on their roadmap promises. And for all of that, I don't have any control, but I as the salesperson get compensated based on whether or not those things materialize. Do you have any parting thoughts on that? I think it's on you for finding the company that's going to be successful like you can do that research prior to starting at that company and yes i think there's certain things that are always going to be out of your control and okay you know somehow a competitor just gets acquired and now they're crushing it in the market and nobody else is competing there's certain things that are always going to be uncontrollable but again mm -hmm. this is something we talk about internally and even just like our introduction calls is actually just about goal setting is really important and what is that that matters in the goal setting is actually the targets so that's where quotas are important because it's actually what is that target i'm reaching for instead of okay i i just have to you know close business it maybe it's not as high a variable but i think if you cut out that variable pay a lot of companies it's the opportunity to make a ton of money is what is the great part of that variable part of comp. If you're making more money, you know, I think if a lot of companies cut out that variable pay to not be as high, there's not as high of an upside. So I think that would be the detrimental part, but it's about actually setting, setting better quotas or smarter quotas, as we like to say, <laughs> and then also having that intentionality as you're thinking about those goals because so for example one of the things we talk about is when you think of the most common marathon finish time you know mm -hmm. it's actually three hours and 59 minutes and if you look at it on a chart that three hours and 59 minutes why is it that it's not because of pay it's actually because there's a goal that the person is trying to achieve and they have that pace setter right in front of them of four hours and they're like oh, i can beat that four hours and so if they can do that that's the same thing that's going to happen with quotas and if you have the right quotas i think a lot of reps are going to achieve those goals which then helps you drive the business more in 
a better way. I understand where a lot of people are coming from with that conversation. I just hope it it doesn't really happen because I think it's the higher upside that comes with it. And if you're not a top performer or you're in the middle, it definitely is tough. But if you're a top performer, that that higher upside, I think, is always going to be there with quotas and higher and commissions. So I think that's the important aspect there that's the positive side. Makes a lot of sense and a lot of practical advice. What I really loved about our conversation was, you know, you kind of uh, really held your line on the sales rep having a lot of ownership in the whole process, right? Like even when, you know, you're doing your due diligence for which company to join, that's important to do as well, right? Like both because you want to know what is not going to be in your control before you join that so that you don't find yourself a victim to some of those things, right? And, you know, that's really useful advice. And I think one of my learnings from this conversation, and there have been quite a few, one of my learnings has been to maybe find people with that attitude of ownership because salespeople are at the end of the day, you know, micro entrepreneurs uh, in their own domain. And if they don't have that sense of ownership, then maybe they're not kind of in the right role, which is sales overall, right? Calendar was really, really uh, great. Thanks for sharing your perspective. It was wonderful speaking with you. Yeah. Thanks so much for the time.